Well, I want to begin this evening by asking you a question. Uh, and that is, how do you think about church? How do you think about church? It's something that we do every single week. Um, but how do you think about it? What exactly are you doing when you come here on a Sunday and meet together? It might be that we think of church a little bit like a petrol station. We come to refill our spiritual tanks. And although there are lots of other people here, uh, we don't really need to get that involved with them. We just need to drive in, fill up uh, and drive out again. Or maybe you think of church more like the cinema. Uh, You could have stayed at home and rented a movie. Uh, You could have stayed in and read your Bible and prayed and maybe listened online. But instead, you came for the the bigger, the louder experience. Bigger and louder, but still still private. After all, you don't go to the cinema to meet a load of new people, do you? I hope the problems with those two views are obvious. The problem is that they're both all about me. They both suggest that church is really just an individual thing. The place I go to get my top-up, my Bible input, my praise experience. And then once I've got those things, well, I just head off home again. The other people, well, they're here, but they're sort of incidental. A bit like the person at the petrol station in the queue or the person sitting next to you in the cinema. Viewing church like this, Paul says, is a really big problem. Viewing church as all about me is a very big and very Corinthian problem. If you've been with us over uh, the past few weeks particularly, you'll know that Paul at this point is challenging the church in Corinth about their self-centred attitude. We know, don't we, that the Corinthians are all about me, myself and I. And in chapters 11 to 14, we're seeing that this is affecting the way they take their church meetings, what they do when they gather together. In fact, it's having such a negative effect that Paul begins our passage this evening by saying in verse 17, I have no praise for you, for your meetings are doing more harm than good. Just imagine that for a moment. We've all been to Sunday services that could have been better. But when the Apostle Paul looks at your Sunday service and says you are doing more harm than good, well then you know something has gone very wrong indeed. And so for the rest of our time this evening, we're going to try and see why Paul makes such a strong statement about the church in Corinth. And hopefully as we do that, we'll learn about how we can avoid making the same mistakes. And so first, Paul says, self-centeredness divides the church. Self-centeredness divides the church. In verses 18 and 19, he returns to that problem that we saw back in chapter 1. If you can remember, it's the problem of divisions in the church, little subgroups within the church family. We see in verse 20 that those visions are causing issues around taking the Lord's Supper. Such that Paul says they can't really call it the Lord's Supper at all anymore. It's important to get some context here. Because when we think about the Lord's Supper, we immediately think of what we're going to do later on this service. Uh, quite a formal service in a church building where we eat a tiny piece of bread and take a small sip of juice. But that wasn't the case for the early church. 
For starters, they didn't meet in buildings like this. There was no king centre in Corinth. Instead, it would have been common for churches to meet in the homes of the, the richer members of the church. And we know from archaeology that some of those homes in Corinth were big enough to seat 80 or 90 people, nearly as many as we've got here this evening. And so the church, they gathered in these big homes. And then when it came to taking the Lord's Supper, that would happen as part of a a bigger shared meal. So people would come along, they would enjoy a dinner together, and then they'd finish by having communion. And it's this church meal that seems to be causing the problems. You see, some of the Corinthians were so self-centred, so concerned that they were having a good time, uh, that the food wasn't being properly shared around. In fact, as we look there, it seems that, uh, that some who got to the meeting first were, were so self-absorbed that they polished off all the food before others had arrived to have something to eat. And so others, they would come, arrive at church hungry, ready to enjoy a nice meal. And what they would find is a bunch of stuffed, drunk church members having a bit of a laugh. If that wasn't bad enough, it seems that the ones who arrived late and so went hungry were the poorer, more needy members of the church. And so maybe it was that the rich people in the church, well, they didn't have to work. They didn't need to have a job. And so they could invite their other rich mates round to church early. Whereas the poor members of the congregation, well, they had to work long, hard days. And so they would have staggered in at the end of the day, tired and hungry. Whatever the reason for this difference, Paul says that the self-centeredness of some is causing divisions in the church. And that is a big problem. Just look at what Paul says in verse 22. He says, do you despise the church of God? Corinthians, do you realise that, that your little private parties are creating divisions in the church? And by creating those divisions, you are despising the people that Christ has died for. You're despising the people that he has united to you through his death. And so he says, you you humiliate those who have nothing. Don't you realise, Corinthians, that by failing to share your food, you're alienating, you're, you're excluding, you're even humiliating your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're publicly rubbing their noses in the fact that you have something that they don't and so he says you despise them you humiliate them it's a strong rebuke isn't it it's a wake-up call to the corinthians and really the first thing we need to ask is do we need the same wake-up call as them because it's all too easy for us isn't it to alienate and exclude and even at points humiliate others other believers people who are part of our church family i think we might not always realize that we're doing it but there are things that we can say and do that subtly reinforce divisions in the church and a guy called 
Andy Prime uh, was, is a pastor up in Scotland. And he's written quite a bit about cultural divisions within the church. He's part of a, a church <coughs> planting scheme onto a housing estate. And, and one of his big points is that every church has a dominant culture. It might be to do with race. It might be class or age or something else. But whatever it is, every church has a dominant culture. And he says, if you're sitting there thinking, I'm not really sure what our dominant culture is here. I'm not sure we have one at all. If that's the kind of thing that you think, well then, he says, you probably are the dominant culture. And so I wonder whether you've ever thought about the fact that not everyone's experience of walking through those doors is the same as yours. You see, for the majority of us here this evening, we will have no idea what it is like to walk into this church as someone who isn't white, British, and probably middle class. And don't misunderstand me on these things. There's nothing wrong with those things. We are who we are. But it's important that we realise that some of the things that seem natural, obvious to us, might not be to others. Uh, by talking in a certain way or by making certain assumptions or, or only including certain people, well, subtly, we create divisions in the church. Uh, the obvious example of this is when cliques form in a church, isn't it? Uh, when we form those little groups of people who are just like me uh, and then leave others out who are, who are a bit different as a result. We see someone come through the doors on a Sunday and we think, oh, they, they're very different from me. Oh, I'm not sure I can talk to them. It's probably better, probably easier to leave them to someone else. And instead, we stick to the people that we're comfortable with, the people who are more like us. But Paul says, doing that, behaving that way, oh, is self-centred. It's divisive, and in the end, it leads to a denial of the gospel, which is the second thing that we need to see. Self-centeredness denies the gospel. Paul says to the Corinthians, your self-centeredness is causing divisions. And what's worse is that you're doing it around the very meal that's meant to symbolize the opposite, the Lord's Supper. And so in verses 23 to 25, Paul reminds the Corinthians of what the Lord's Supper is meant to be all about. Those well-known words in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In contrast to the Corinthians' selfishness, the Lord's Supper points us to Christ's selflessness. What did Christ have to do to save sinners? What did he have to do to save selfish people like you and me? Well, he had to be selfless. He had to give his body. Mark 10, Jesus came to the world to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life to pay the price for people who are at heart selfish and self-centred. Jesus Christ died to pay the price for the attitude that is in all of us, 
that says, I'm going to live my life my way. I'm going to look out for number one. And everyone else, including God, well, they can come second. And so you see, the Lord's Supper should remind us that that the Christian has no reason to boast, nothing to be proud of, nothing to look down at others about. Because the bread that we will eat later on reminds us that we are all failures. Failures who needed Jesus to give his body for us. And so Jesus says, here's my body, broken for you. And then he says, here is my blood poured out for you. Verse 25, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Well, at the cross, Jesus' body was broken. He paid the price for our sin. And at the cross, his blood was poured out so that we could be brought into a new covenant, a new relationship with God. Through the cross, we're brought into a new relationship with God as our Father. And we're brought into that relationship along with everyone else who has trusted in the blood of Jesus. Along with everyone else who has accepted that free gift of God's grace. And so it simply can't be that there are some in the church who are more important than others. There cannot be haves and have-nots in the church. There can't be insiders and outsiders. Because without Christ, every single person, every single one of us is an outsider. But it's only by his grace that we are brought in. Brought into the love of the Father. Brought into unity with each other. Which means... When I take the Lord's Supper a bit later on, I shouldn't just look down at the floor and think this is all about me. No. No, I should look around and think these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. These are people who, just like me, have been saved by God's grace. I'm bound to them and they are bound to me. And so there aren't any, different, any differences between us, whether that's money or, or career or education or background or skin colour. Those things are nothing. They are nothing. Because we are united in Christ. And so Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one. In Christ Jesus. The gospel unites people from every walk of life. It breaks down every barrier. And so that is why Paul says it's an offence to God when there are divisions in the church. It's a denial of the gospel. He goes on in verse 27. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. It's a strong warning, isn't it? Paul says, if you take the Lord's Supper 
without discerning or recognising the body of Christ, i.e. the church, well then you're sinning against the body and blood of Christ. You're eating and drinking judgment on yourself. And so, verse 28, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat and drink the Lord's Supper. In other words, every time we gather together to take the Lord's Supper together, as we're going to this evening, we should ask ourselves, am I recognising the body of Christ? Am I treating this group of people sitting here this evening around me as my brothers and sisters in the Lord? I think we often think about this in terms of broken relationships, don't we? So if there's someone in the church that we know we're bearing a grudge against or that we haven't forgiven for something, well then we should sort that out. We should do everything that we can to reconcile with them before we take communion. But as I thought about this this week, it struck me that this isn't just a question of whether I'm fighting with someone and so need to forgive them. In Corinth, it wasn't that the rich were fighting with the poor. It was that the rich didn't care about the poor. They were self-centered. And that meant they couldn't care less about the needs of others in their church family. And so when we come to the Lord's Supper, we need to stop and think about our attitude towards the people sitting around us. We need to examine ourselves And ask whether we are deliberately neglecting the needs of others. As if they're not our problem. As if they weren't part of our church family. And we need to ask ourselves whether there's anything in our behaviour that communicates that other people don't belong. That they're not one of us. As they're not part of this family. Because Paul says if we think like that, if we give that impression... Well, then we're denying the gospel. We're denying the very thing the Lord's Supper is meant to picture. These are important questions for us to ask. Because abuse of the Lord's Supper and denial of the gospel are serious issues. So serious that Paul says in verse 30 that God has allowed some of the Corinthians to get ill, even die, as a sign of his judgment on them. We've got to be clear at this point that Paul isn't making a general statement here about all sin and sickness. Other passages in the New Testament make it clear that generally speaking there's not a link between sin, sickness and judgment. However, the fact that it happens at all shows us how strongly God feels about those who participate in the Lord's Supper yet fail to love their church family. And so in verse 31, Paul encourages his readers to think carefully, very carefully, about their attitude and behaviour, and to change what they're doing if necessary, so as not to face more severe judgment when Christ returns. What will that change of behaviour look like? I think we can see it there in verses 33 and 34, just look there. Verse 33, so then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather together to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. 
Paul says there's something that you should do when you gather together and something that you should not do. The do is there in verse 33. When you gather together, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Paul says you should share. When you get together as a church, you should think about other people's needs before your own. And that's something that's as true for us in Chessington as it is for them in Corinth, isn't it? And so Paul says, do you come on a Sunday, do come to life group or any other group and do be prepared to look out for each other. Do look out for new faces. Do introduce yourself and welcome people whether or not you're on the hosting team. Do be prepared to talk with and listen to people who are different from yourself. Do invite people to your home for food. Do offer practical help to those who need it. In short, do show in your words and your actions that these people are your family. Put their needs before your comfort, says Paul. And then the don't comes in verse 34. Anyone who's hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. Paul says, don't bring a large amount of food to the church meal. Eat what you like at home. But think about what you're doing. Think about what you're eating and what that says when you meet with others. In other words, this is just the opposite of verse 33. Verse 33, do think about others. Verse 34, don't be self-centered. Don't do anything that will exclude or alienate people in the church. And again, this remains true for us, doesn't it? Paul says, don't make church all about you. Don't treat church like a petrol station or a cinema as something for your own personal refill or entertainment, but failing to think about the other people there. Don't be cliquey. Don't think of church purely as a time to catch up with your mates without any thought for the new person or the one on the edge. Don't be exclusive. Don't forget that not everyone has the same church experience as you. And so go out of your way to make people feel welcome, to make them feel like they belong, like they're one of the family. And so here's a really practical challenge as we close. Why not commit to talking to one new person every time you come to church on a Sunday? Of course, talk to your friends. Of course, talk to your family. But make sure you talk to one new person Every week. That might mean sitting somewhere different to where you normally sit. It might mean finding someone new over coffee after the service. Whatever it involves, let's be a church that commits to being other-centred when we meet. Let's think about what we can give rather than what we can get when we go to life group or hub or women's Bible study or whatever other groups we go along to. Paul says to the Corinthians and to us, self-centeredness divides the church and it denies the gospel. So let's pray and ask that God would help us to be a radically other-centered 
people, an other-centered church. And in doing so, we would picture rather than deny the gospel we proclaim. Let's ask that God would help us do that now. Our loving Heavenly Father, we are sorry for the ways we are like the Corinthians. Sorry for how we make even your church, your gathering, your people, all about ourselves. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that we have a saviour who is utterly other-centred as he went to the cross. Father, would uh, we look at him and then love each other as a result. For his name we pray. Amen.